Welcome to Lifelines. This is John Augustine. Today's review addresses the second half of Walt Disney's career, as reported by Neil Gabler in his biography, Walt Disney, The Triumph of the American Imagination. After birthing the immortal figures of Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and the landmark full-length animated feature film of Snow White, where could Walt go next? His studio was swamped with options. They'd already secured the rights to Winnie the Pooh, Alice in Wonderland, The Wind in the Willows, and Peter Pan. Projects and proposals that wouldn't be developed for years, though they would eventually become highlights in the studio's history. But Walt needed something now, while the iron was hot, to capitalize on the success of Snow White. He put his animators to work on Bambi, but when that project ran into trouble, he turned to Pinocchio. At the same time, Disney personally was being swept away by his ambitious plans for Fantasia, a whole new application of animation driven by themes from classical music. During all this turmoil, Walt built a new studio with an animation building three times larger than the previous one and moved everybody over to the new digs. World War II created new opportunities and serious problems. All American film studios lost their overseas markets, a major source of revenue. Disney produced films for the government, even a cartoon explaining how important it was for Americans to pay their taxes. Washington was intent on keeping Germany out of South America, where Disney was wildly popular. So Walt went on a goodwill tour and followed up with cartoons like Saludos Amigos. By the end of the war, Disney had produced more film for Uncle Sam than any other studio. But only one new cartoon feature was released during the war years, Bambi, finally, and it lost money. But Walt was able to stay solvent by reissuing Snow White. In the 50s, Disney's fortunes rose as his innovative talents revived. He made live-action movies like Treasure Island and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, and live features incorporating animation, most successfully in Mary Poppins. He built an entire branch of his company to produce revolutionary nature documentaries. Viewers all had the same question. How did they get that shot? Every nature program on television owes a debt of gratitude to Disney's pioneering nature photographers. Speaking of television, Walt was on board early in the new technology of the 50s with two huge hit programs, The Mickey Mouse Club and Disneyland. One entry in the programming was a series on the American frontiersman Davy Crockett, which spawned an insatiable national appetite for coonskin caps. And when color TV came in, who was better positioned to take advantage than the man who had built an empire out of hand-colored animation cells? The box office success of two new animated features, Cinderella and Alice in Wonderland, combined with the profits and publicity from his TV shows, renewed the prosperity of the Disney empire and fueled Walt's next big idea. Disneyland, the El Dorado of family vacations. The park spanned Walt's personality, from the sentimental nostalgia of 1901 Main Street to the promotion of future technological miracles. Disney, who had spent his whole life innovating, was fascinated by space travel. And then, of course, Walt Disney World in Florida, which gave the company a bi-coastal double threat, which would redefine the ultimate in American family vacations. But Walt would never live to see that. 
dying five years before the gates opened in Orlando. At the time of his death, he was probably the most famous person in America, and certainly the best-known American abroad. No popular entertainer had contributed as much to American culture in the 20th century. This program has been Lifelines. I'm John Augustine.